0: You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts. Factory medicine, high deductible insurance that doesn't pay docs, and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze of always accelerated costs and decelerated reimbursements. Meet those making a difference with the host, Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. Welcome to Primary Care Cures. There are three mega bureaucracies that are all getting remade from the outside in by force. The post office, example one, today they operate on a multi-billion dollar deficit and there's no end in sight. In 1971, FedEx was created, it changed forever. The post office, the founder was branded a troublemaker, a dreamer, they're going to lose money and go out of business. But the market cap today of FedEx is $160 billion. Amazon supposedly single-handedly saved the post office, but somehow they lose money on each transaction, so I don't understand the economics of that. It's just delaying its death. Our school system, example number two. It's the lowest ranking in the industrial world, despite the highest spend per pupil by light years. In 1994, Kep Academy, right here from Houston, Texas, was founded by my friends Mike and Dave. They were branded troublemakers, student stealers, cheaters of the system, handpicked the cherries. Today, they're the undisputed global leader of charter schools worldwide, and their graduation and matriculation rates blow away the public school systems and even the best uh, counties. So what do these two have in common, KIPP and FedEx? The founders saw a big hot mess, and they decided to chip away at the mainstream from the outside in Sclerotic thinking, sacred assumptions were challenged. Lawsuits went flying to shut them down and still go today. Name-calling, brutal tactics behind the scenes. They tried to legislate them out even, both. Uh, It was the postal unions fought them, the teachers' unions fought them, furious picketing pressure, headlines, all negative. But the established order will do just about anything or everything in its power to flick the bug off its shoulder that's causing it problems. FedEx makes money every quarter. The post office hasn't in decades. The KIPP graduation rates and college acceptance from the very poor school districts blow away the best-run public school systems from the finest neighborhoods. The bug is now a rhino. They can't flick it off their shoulder anymore. It's not even a race, folks. It's kind of like KIPP and FedExes of the world are competing with an ocean liner that has broken engines, and they're trying to paddle against Niagara Street Falls currents. The paddles and have even holes in them, and the liners are heading over the falls, and the ship captain isn't listening. In fact, he's getting broadcast commands from some chopper above, and he can't even hear what they're saying. The crew's scared. The staff is uh, apoplectic. The passengers are all starting to jump off board as, uh, on, on, into the rivers. They're all horrified. Yet upstream, it continues, as it's always been. Gotta go maintain that ship's course. So what happens when all this complexity and conflicting solutions from today's noisy choppers above hits healthcare? It's all the same situation, folks, except this time, the folks chipping away at the outside, forcing change within, are all starting to happen and converge right about um, 2019, 2020. You're going to see some very interesting changes happening in healthcare today because of people like our guest today. She's not frozen. she doesn't have a paddle that's broken or has holes in it. She, in fact, um, sees a way out. And she understands the burnout is it of half all docs is a systemic situation, that suicide's doubled out of our veterans is a systemic situation. that kids being mourned off of medicine by most phys- physician parents is systemic. When today, one out of six are going to choose primary care when it used to be 30% a generation ago or 70% two generations ago. Today, you know how many from our finest schools choose primary care from the elite primary uh, elite schools? It's 2%. The model is a broken hot mess. I'd like you to meet our guest today, Leah Houston, an ER doc with A Better Way. I want to welcome you to the show. Before, let me introduce you and tell everybody about you. She is a board-certified ER physician uh, for about 10 years now, and while practicing, she recognized a common problem that anybody in medicine would recognize, which is uncompensated administrative burdens related to physician employment and credentialing are a leading cause of waste and burnout. She began HPEC in 2018 while realizing that blockchain could solve a lot of the obstructive regulatory problems in healthcare with this distributed technology that blockchain uses. The company will be streamlining current antiquated and laborious processes of credentialing and reducing waste, improving access to care, and giving physicians sovereign control and ownership of their data and their employment rights. The organization will also create an opportunity for docs to communicate more efficiently about policy and practice with each other and build an ecosystem. She's been a lifelong advocate, innovator, and investor and has spent time lobbying for public policy and healthcare reform, and she understands the problems that plague primary care and healthcare uh, in general from the inside out, and has dedicated her time to repairing the current global healthcare crisis. The company will be restoring physician autonomy and practice medicine starting in the U.S. and expanding beyond. So, Leah, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ron.
0: Great. Let's set up the problem as, in as plain English as you can because you're a very smart cookie and we need to uh, let these, the rest of us that aren't as smart as you understand what your problem is that you're solving.
1: Well, I, I really love the intro that you had these three mega bureaucracies. Um, you know, what's going on with healthcare is a very similar situation. It is failing uh, and people don't know why, they're very confused about why it's failing. They see that we're spending over $3.5 trillion on healthcare annually, yet for the second year in a row, we saw an increase in mortality. And everybody's confused because special interests are really influencing the narrative. But the reality is that 30% of that money goes towards administrative waste, and a very, very small percent, somewhere between 6 and 8% actually goes to payment for physician services. Uh, but, you know, patients really value physician services, so where is all the rest of the money going? Um, And that's kind of, that's the problem that we're trying to solve. We're trying to solve these middlemen that are taking a huge cut of your healthcare dollars and not providing the service that you feel like you're paying for.
0: So, Leah, what influenced you to work for this change?
1: Well, you know, as I was practicing, I felt like there was something wrong. You know, I felt like my behavior as a doctor, my prescribing patterns, my referral patterns were being somewhat controlled and influenced by my employer. And I was doing my best to try to do the right thing. But then one day something big happened that really affected me, um, where a hospital that I previously worked for uh, stole my identity as a physician. So we have lots of our, our numbers that allow hospitals and health systems to bill for our care. And after I had left that hospital, they stayed, um, they kept all of my numbers, my DEA numbers, my Medicare, Medicaid, uh, PTAN numbers, my NPI numbers in the file, and continued to build charts on patients that I had never seen. And that led me to essentially lose my job for five months because the Center for Medicare and Medicaid was under the impression I was working without a license because I was no longer licensed in that state and in that hospital. So... When that happened to me, I really thought a lot about all of the things that plague the American healthcare system. But when I really thought about it, because I had so much time—five months not working—I mean, I'm a person that you know went through medical school. I'm somebody who works all the time. I had a lot of time to think, and I realized uh, it's really it's really about our professional identity as physicians, um, and our identity is essentially being stolen when we're working under these large health systems. No longer am I your personal physician. No longer am I your primary doctor, but I'm some doctor at this big health system. Um, And uh, I'm just a number to them. And the patients are also just a number in that type of system. So uh, I realized that that needed to be fixed. And that's what inspired me to uh, work on building identity, credentialing, and communication systems for for physicians to get out of that quagmire.
0: Never heard of a story like that before. Uh, The good news is that they had all their charges reversed when there was no licensing in that state. So that's the good news.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank God, you know, I I was able, you know, they realized it was a mistake and they reversed it. But it's because it's, you know, Center for Medicare and Medicaid as a bureaucratic entity, it took a long time for them to, you know, really get everything fixed. Um, and it was it was very stressful for me. You know, I, I was thinking about leaving the country and practicing somewhere else because I didn't know what to do.
0: Well, you can always come to Texas. We love all foreigners here. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about what should we expect, Leah, if everybody brought in blockchain? Because I think the average listener is thinking blockchain is some kind of key fob you have to have that allows you to buy dark things on the dark internet. Um, I don't think they realize they can actually have a sovereign – identity, that they can protect their medical records, their medical data on it. Can you talk a little bit about how blockchain, what it really means uh, in terms of protecting a doctor from the situation you found yourself in?
1: Yeah, you know, I just want to remind everybody that there's a lot of false narratives out there, and those false narratives are being built by um, individuals that really want to keep control. So the false narrative that, you know, blockchain is just some scam, it's only for the dark web, blah, 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 you know, that's something that a lot of these special interests are trying to kind of promote because they don't want people to realize that this is really a community-driven product. Um, And similar to the internet, that, you know, if, if people remember back to the early 1990s before the internet and the World Wide Web was even accessible, we didn't even really understand how much, you know, fast forward 25, 30 years, it would be touching the fabric of our lives. And so blockchain is similarly going to change how we do everything. Um, And it's going to change how we um, own and control all of our data, whether it be your financial data or your healthcare data. Um, You know, but it would only be done that way if we decide to do it that way.
0: Am I I correct in assuming most people's health records are spread all over God's green earth? That it would take literally months to gather it all under one single... um, place?
1: So that's a very interesting uh, point. And so in some ways, yes, every single health system, unless you're at the VA, because they are interoperable, um, your records are trapped in whatever, you know, hospital health systems, doctor's office that you went to, because there's no, um, they were never built to be interoperable. They were always built to be proprietary. However, um, there are two companies that own 50% 50% of all of the health records in the country. And uh, that's Cerner and Epic. So you're right on one on one point that our records are kind of all over the place and nobody really owns anything. However, there are two companies that own 50% of them. That should make everybody very concerned.
0: Yes, very concerned. So um, let's talk about if we, if HPAC had its way and was spread all over America, what would change from a patient's perspective and from a PCP's perspective?
1: Well, when physicians are no longer tethered to health systems and employment models and no longer forced to um, participate in prior authorizations, and all of these administrative uh, burdens that are placed on doctors just in order to provide health care in the insurance model, then you'll see an influx of people who are interested in staying in medicine. Um, and, you know, The Physicians Foundation did a survey and something like 50% of the physicians they surveyed were either going to retire early, cut back on their hours, or leave medicine for another field. And that's, that's another thing that should be concerning. I mean, that's a public health crisis, in my opinion, when half the people in, an already, uh, in a system that already doesn't have enough physicians are planning on leaving. And so if we create a situation that allows your personal physicians to practice medicine free from all of these third parties interfering with your care, then patients will get better care, doctors will be happier, Um, you know, we'll see a reduction in middlemen, a reduction in administrative waste of our healthcare dollars, and a return to a more tribal society, but also powered by all the benefits and technological advancements that we have today.
0: So so my solution is a little different from yours. I, yours is more sort of a back-end operating uh, solution. Mine is really, I believe that if everybody in primary care, and a lot of specialists too, hired ancillary services to come in and take care of their patients and have them offer cross services they don't currently offer, they could bill um, inside in network for services they're not currently receiving income on, and they can offer more convenience for the patient um, the thing that started me on this whole journey back in 2009 was I met a physician who as a family doc was taking home a million eight and to a 2 million in a good year, a million two when he started taking those foot off the gas and all of it was ancillaries. So he basically took away from the specialist, all of that workups that they were doing and brought them in house and uh, then sent the doctors and his neighbor and his community, a worked up patient. So that I don't think any doctor that is making two, four, six, ten X what the average PCP makes, suffers from any type of burnout from whatsoever. I mean, they may be having a bad marriage or a bad day, but they're not gonna have a bad year.
1: And I and I do I do love that that kind of idea, you know. Um, you know, I don't I haven't really read into it, but I from what I understand, the ACA prohibits um physicians from owning hospitals. So if something like that were to become too consolidated where everything was being offered by one person that owned one physician. I don't know if that would be allowed. I mean, but I think that, that does sound, it sounds much more efficient.
0: So let's talk about HVACs getting really kind of lift off right now. You're getting a little wind under your wings. What are your biggest challenges in getting this platform recognized for what it is?
1: Well, you know, I was recently at a conference and they pointed out 16 barriers to adopting blockchain in healthcare. And what it really boils down to is there are really only three barriers. Um, And it's government, enterprise, and then all the people. And if you really think about it, government and enterprise is run by people. So people are really the only barrier to adopting uh, this type of technology. Because it is a community-driven technology where it's only powerful if people choose to utilize it and um, interact with it. This will only be powerful if uh, the physician and patient community decide that they want to have uh, sovereign control over how their healthcare is run and delivered and um, experienced.
0: You know, it's interesting a lot of technology reads out there will uh, be outdated the minute that they're published, but there's a lot of interesting things written about blockchain and healthcare that really are very current because blockchain, while it is, evolving and getting more cryptic and you know smarter and better. Really, the, the platform is the platform. So what should I read if I'm a doc and I want to start investigating blockchain as a option in my practice?
1: Well, so my um, my top advisor is Dr. Alex Kahana. He's an anesthesiologist, pain management specialist, and he's now um, working on, on the health vertical for Crypto Oracle. And he does a lot um, of reading about blockchain and healthcare, and he posts a lot on medium, and his stuff is really brilliant. So if you want to just kind of read a little bit about blockchain and healthcare, medium, Dr. Alex Kahana. If you want to understand blockchain in general, one of my favorite books is "The Truth Machine" uh, by Michael Casey. And that kind of gives a, a broad overview of what this is. Um, you know, if you want to really understand how blockchain can you know insulate us against economic collapse. And how it can uh, improve the economy through decentralized peer-to-peer solutions. You can read Radical Markets by Eric Posner. Uh, Those are some of my favorite ones. There's a lot more. I mean, I I read stuff all the time. I'm reluctant to kind of recommend any other like news outlet because a lot of it, you know, you have to use discernment. They kind of, you know, the internet's kind of a a wild west nowadays.
0: How do I spell your favorite doctor's name? The anesthesiologist.
1: Alex Kahana, A-L-E-X-T-A-H-A-N-A. He's a he's a doctor, doctor. He's got his PhD in philosophy also.
0: All right. So you got a message. You get to fly in an airplane over the whole community of healthcare. What's your message to healthcare?
1: Well, I think that I just want people to realize, you know, as I had said, you know, it's like the internet. Blockchain will be touching the fabric of your life. In less than 10 years, this will be part of how you do things, whether it be, um in your work, in your finances, in your personal life, there's decentralized communications. And in your healthcare life, it will also be a big part of how things happen. And so you need to decide which community you want to be a part of and which community that you want to elevate. Um, and that's it.
0: And how do folks find Leah Houston if they're looking for you?
1: Um, well, I'm on Twitter, Leah Houston MD. Um, and those, that's my handle across all platforms, Facebook uh linkedin um instagram and i also have uh you know hpec also has a handle that they they kind of post more about blockchain focused i focus more on you know the, the disempowerment of the physician community and how physicians and patients can get together um so the hpec handle is hpec dao decentralized autonomous organization
0: well the smartest guy i know just predicted that we're gonna have a lot of high-income new yorkers moving to texas because the non-deductibility of taxes that your guys are going to about to get hit with April fifteenth. So, um, anybody named Houston that tries to settle in Texas will do just fine. Aww. If somehow you're the Whitney or Sam Houston, you have a fine tradition behind you.
1: Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, they're already leaving. A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of people are moving to Florida. Also, you know, the billionaires of Silicon Valley have already left and they're going to New Zealand. It's a scary scary world. I don't know who's going to be signing the front of the check with some of these social, socialized programs.
0: You know, it's not scary once you've had a Corona um, and a little barbecue. It's, you know, in Texas, everything, all those problems go away.
1: <laughs> You're, it's a hard sell. I might, I might have to consider it. I have a lot of friends in Texas, actually, so.
0: Great, Leah. Well, it's nice visiting with you. We'll, we'll bring you back as you develop this further along and we'll get an update, okay?
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening you want to shake things up, there's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.